master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers and exult the exalted of the earth languish. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, the earth's inhabitants are burned up, and very few are left. The new wine dries up, and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan. The gaiety of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All gaiety is banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gates is battered to pieces. So will it be on the earth and among the nations. And when an olive tree is beaten, or as when gleanings are left after the grape harvest, they raise their voices, they shout for joy. From the west they acclaim the Lord's majesty. Therefore in the east give glory to the Lord. Exalt the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear singing, Glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away, I waste away, woe to me. The treacherous beauty with tre treachery the treacherous betray. Terror and pit and snare await you. O people of the earth, whoever flees at the sound of terror will fall into the pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The floodgates of the heavens are opened. The foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellious rebellion. That, in, that it falls never to rise again. In that day the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed. For the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. Church community where, where people are well taught and 
people love the Bible and love God's truth and you're an easy group to talk to. So, 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 so thanks for that. That's great. So, righto. Well, let's look at uh, chapter 24. So passages like um, Isaiah 24, people used to find it hard to connect to. But uh, all the Hollywood disaster movies, and there's a whole spate of them, isn't there, and so forth, and uh, <clears throat> I never go and see any of them because, you know, I mean, I'm one of those people, you know, the scary bits of the movie, I go out to the kitchen, make a cup of coffee, and is it safe to come back yet, you know, so I don't like seeing scary stuff. But, but people are into that, aren't they? Kind of uh, end-of-the-world type scenario. So, so that's the kind of material that we're dealing with in Isaiah chapter 24. So... Um, we look at, could look at the whole of uh, chapter 24 to 27. So that's uh, a, a passage, a part of Isaiah, which, which has this kind of uh, uh, approach to thing. We can use the word apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic literature or apocalyptic theology. In other words, those, uh, those times when the prophets uh, are looking at the whole world, the fate of the whole world, and we have this uh, uh, amazing imagery... Uh, such as we have here in chapter 24. Behold, the, the, the Lord will lay waste the earth and make it desolate. This is verse 1. He will, he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. So thanks to Hollywood, we can kind of, kind of see that kind of stuff. So it's lovely when uh, other people, you know, the Bible, is it, is it relevant? You know, does it connect? Uh, uh, people are, are thinking of this kind of stuff, the, the world in which we live, the global village, environmental crisis, all, all this kind of stuff. We, we, we are living in a world where people are contemplating end-of-the-world type scenarios a and the Bible has a theology for a world that is thinking like that and that's what uh, Isaiah here is doing in chapter 24. Well, let me just set the scene a little bit. Uh, chapters 13 to 23, these are oracles against different historical nations. So if we just flick back there for a minute, so uh, uh, there's an oracle of judgment against Babylon and Moab and Damascus and Egypt. Now, we know about those kind of places. So the prophets can talk like that. Uh, oracles of judgment against specific known nations, places, you know, things that we can find on the map. The Bibles can, can, uh, the prophets can speak in that way, but they could also step back and have this more cosmic perspective. So they're now lo no longer interested in individual nations or historical people groups or historical events in the normal kind of way. Not interested in what the Assyrians might be doing or what the Babylonians might be saying or something like that, but stepping back and having this cosmic perspective. And uh, so that's what we have here. And uh, so notice in verse 20, uh, chapter 24, it's all about the earth, the earth as a whole. What's going to happen to the earth in the plan and purposes of God? And it's described here, it's going to be laid waste, uh, the imagery of uh, an earthquake, you know, where the surface is being twisted and misshapen and the inhabitants of the, of the earth are in grave trouble. And when that happens, it's not going to be any use saying, but, but I'm with NRMA. They said they'd look after me, you know what I mean? Kind of, uh, uh, each night I go around and, you know, check all the windows are locked and the doors are in, sorry, those, those normal kind of 
protections and so forth won't apply in this end of the world scenario, which is, is being described here. So this is the world of apocalyptic. Um, so not so strange. Of course, uh, people who are making no claim to have faith may have no Christian worldview. Our Hollywood producers are kind of looking at the world from this cosmic perspective and the Bible, already knowing this, has a prophetic word for uh, a world, the world in which we live. Notice in chapter 24, uh, generally too, um, who's doing stuff? So one of the characteristics of, of apocalyptic in the Bible is that God is the main actor. And so in verse 1, the Lord will lay waste the earth. Uh, the divine warrior, God, God himself as a warrior coming to deal with the enemies of his people. God doing things, you know, vertical uh, involvement, intrusion into the world. Uh, God not using human agents. So in chapter 24, it's not talking about God using the Assyrians as an agent of judgment. That's the kind of thing that's said in earlier chapters. But when the prophet begins to talk in terms of apocalyptic, it's God himself directly, no human agency, stepping in and uh, bringing history to a close and bringing his purposes to a climax. And when, that God, when God does that, that catastrophe is going to reach all classes of people. Verse 2, high and low, the leadership and the led, priest and people, master and slave, wherever you are in the economy, buyer and seller, and so forth, creditor, debtor. So uh, the, uh, Isaiah, they're using you know, these contrasts to make the point that uh, whoever we are, uh, racially, socially, economically, this is a catastrophe that's going to uh, strike people of all classes. So it's heady kind of stuff, isn't it? And you can see why people have sometimes, you know, how, how do I get around, how, how do I get my head around this? And, and how, how does this connect to what's happening and so forth? Uh, but it does connect because uh, we live in a day where we can contemplate catastrophic things happening uh, to us. And uh, so Hollywood knows about this, so here we have a word that we can give. In verse, verse 3, the, uh, the earth is utterly laid waste, utterly despo dis um, despoiled, and because God says so. So, so verses 1 to 3 then describe the catastrophe, inescapable. Um, doesn't matter whether we've, you know, kind of... Uh, it's like it's some movie, something, you know, some catastrophe happening. Oh, she's got to go back. I forgot to lock the front door. The whole house is about to go. Don't bother about locking the front door. You know, so, so our normal protections, you see, will, will matter. You know what I mean? I'm, I, but, I, but I'm insured. I've got health insurance. You know what I mean? I'm with Amy. Um, I've, I've just got my superannuation sorted out. You know, all the normal protections, you know, that we think, you know, will give us security and safety, N none of this will apply in this cosmic scenario that is being described here uh, by Isaiah. So verses 1 to 3 describe the disaster. 
verses 4 to 6, the reason that these things are going to happen. And then verses 7 to 13, the, more about the effect that this catastrophe will have on human beings. So notice the cosmic perspective. Yeah, we're talking about verse 4, the earth and the world. And the particular word there, world, in Hebrew has that idea of inhabited world. So we're thinking of the earth and it's the people of the earth. And notice that it's cosmic. Isaiah's not talking about the land of Israel. He's not even talking about the Middle East, as we might think of it. But he's taking a cosmic, worldwide perspective in the things that he's saying here. It's this kind of material that uh, prepares us to read books like the book of Revelation. See, people often say, oh, the book of Revelation, that's a strange book and hard to understand. It's because we don't have sufficient preparation in terms of our knowledge of the Old Testament. Because John in Revelation is, is drawing on this cosmic, apocalyptic perspective in the visions of the book of Revelation. Interestingly, the book of Revelation, it's full of Old Testament imagery, uh, but it never once quotes the Old Testament. That's what's fascinating. Full of imagery and pictures and ideas from the Old Testament, but unlike many of the New Testament books, never actually quotes the Old Testament. But the key to understand the book of Revelation is to become familiar, begin to take in passages like this in the Old Testament, Old Testament apocalyptic. Now, now why is all this happening? The world as we know it is going to come to an end. Uh, well, the earth lies polluted, verse 5. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants. And I don't think it's talking about oil slicks and holes in the ozone layer. and It's not that kind of pollution. But moral pollution. Um, this kind of word is often used for spilt, the, innocent, uh, the spilling of innocent blood, which pollutes the land. In other words, this is a judgment of God because of human sin. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants. And it goes on to talk about laws and statutes or that have been broken and the everlasting covenant. And uh, the most likely interpretation of the everlasting covenant is that, of course, that's an expression which is used about Noah, the covenant with Noah, a covenant which incorporates the whole human race in a way that the, the later covenants don't. Sinai covenant with Israel and the covenant with David and um, Abraham and so forth. Yes, they have implications for the world, but they're not, first of all, covenants with the world. So, so the everlasting covenant here is probably a reflection of the covenant with Noah in Genesis chapter 9. God rescues the human race from the waters in the person of Noah and his family. God is, enters into covenant. The human race can't just act any way it likes. And one of the things which is deliberately mentioned there with the covenant with Noah is the issue of murder and so forth. So the earth is polluted because... Uh, the inhabitants of the earth have broken the covenant of Noah and God is going to hold the whole earth accountable to him. So scary kind of stuff. But again, we can't say, oh, this is, this is weird stuff. There's weird stuff in the Bible. Sorry, no, there's weird stuff in Hollywood. Now, people are thinking about these things. The people who walk our streets and go to our movie theatres 
they're, they're contemplating the end of the world. We're, at, at the present time in our society, we're, we're having these global, cosmic kind of thinking is taking place. And so the Bible has a word uh, for our time. Yeah, the curse, because we've broken the everlasting covenant, the curse, the punishment of God is coming. And, and so notice all the, all the time the references to the earth, we could kind of trace them through this chapter, the earth, the earth. It's this cosmic global perspective which is being maintained. And so with the, this terrible judgment coming, of course, joy, joy is gone. But verse 7, the prophets who love using imagery, don't they? The, the vine mourns, the, sorry, the wine mourns, the vine uh, uh, languishes and so forth. Often in the Bible, the, uh, an image of joy, social joy, of course, is, you know, uh, 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 wine as, as something, and... Uh, at, uh, as something which assists merriment. And then music, verse 8. Uh, you know, the orchestra's going to stop because we very much also associate music and singing with, uh, with joy. So, so the, the sound of the lyre, uh, the sound of the harp, the harps will be silent. So again, the prophets love, it, loving to, love, love using imagery, word pictures to uh, describe what's happening, and, and, and verse 9 again, talking about uh, wine and drink. So God's judgment is coming, a judgment of cosmic proportions, and joy will be banished from humanity. And of course the Bible is saying we need to be ready uh, for that day. And there's only one way to be ready for that day. Not to make sure that we're one of the ones who happen to get onto that aeroplane. <laughs> That's not how to be ready for the day. You know, so Hollywood doesn't get it totally right, right, does it? But uh, no, the, the, the way to be ready for that day, of course, is to respond to this message of faith and trust that uh, Isaiah is talking about. Verse 10 refers to a city, a city of chaos. Or, uh, or the ruined city, and, and it would be wrong, it would be misunderstanding what's happening here to say, well, what city is that? Is it Babylon? Is it Jerusalem? Is it other? No, it's not meant to be identified with any particular historical city. Um, C.S. Lewis, any C.S. Lewis readers here, the Narnia books and so forth, you guys? Yeah, it's the city of Chan, you know, the city the city of chance. So C.S. Lewis kind of picks up this apocalyptic idea, you know, in the destruction of, the, of, of Chan and, and, uh, and so forth. It, it's the world city. I suppose in terms of Hollywood apocalyptic movies, it's, it's often New York, isn't it? Which is kind of like the world city. Why do all young people want to, want to go to New York? All, all my children love New York. But there's a young people thing about New York. But, but it's kind of like, it's, it's the world city, New York. Or in terms of Hollywood, I suppose we could say it's Gotham City. You know, with Bath Gotham City. Like there is no other city. You know, Gotham City is kind of somehow it, isn't it? It's the focus of the world. It, it's the city. So that, that's the sense we have here. The city, the ruined city, it's, it's Chan, it's, it's Gotham City. We, we, we'd be just thinking along the wrong track if we think, oh, is it Sydney or is it uh, some other kind of... That, that's to kind of think on the mundane level. 
Because we're trying to think globally, cosmically. The whole world, the whole polluted, sinful world, the inhabitants of the earth facing the judgment of God all gathered together in the great city which is to be destroyed and ruined. Uh, my version says the city of chaos. In contrast to, of course, the end of our chapter, then we've got Mount Zion and Jerusalem, the two cities. Uh, Augustine's famous book, you know, The City of God, describing all of history as two cities, you know, Rome versus Jerusalem in his day. But... Uh, that idea he's getting from the Bible, passages like this, there are only two cities. We're, we're, we're citizens of, of one or the other. Uh, the city of chaos, which is doomed, or we're citizens of Jerusalem, where God reigns, because we're those who trust in him. Uh, th that's why we have this kind of material in the Bible. All its imagery, with all its challenge and its strange kind of stuff, but, it, but it's trying to boil everything down to the fundamentals. The global village, the, the world city. You know, there is nothing else. We're either citizens of that or by trusting in God, we are citizens of Jerusalem, which has quite a different fate. The application, of course, is make sure you read the Narnia books. You know, lots of good, lots of good theology in the Narnia books. Thankfully, those books have become, you know, part of just the public domain, haven't they? Everyone's reading, you know, the, the books of Narnia, Christian or not. Back in the day, it was the books that only Christians were reading, but they've very much entered, you know, every, every self-respecting, you know, school library, you know, has C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories and, and so forth. Um, so uh, this is the great, the great city. And uh, that city is described. Uh, no joy in the streets, verse 11. And it's, uh, it's desolate. And its city gates are in ruins. And notice it's in the midst of the earth, or my version, the beginning of verse, verse 13. So it's the, it's the city at the centre of the world. And all the nations are connected to it. Uh, but it's going to be judged and destroyed. And so verse 13, again, images of the remnant. Uh, it's like an olive tree beaten, you know, to get the olives down on the ground so they can be harvested. There's, there's just a few left up in the tree, you see. A picture of the remnant. Or the gleanings of the grape harvest. The harvesters have gone through picking all the grapes, but of course there are just a few that they didn't notice, they'd been left behind, the gleanings. So again, lovely word pictures, but in this case, of, of who will survive this disaster? Well, the survivors will be uh, pitifully few. And so then we have, uh, in verses 14 to 16, then um, what's happening here is responded to. So verse 13 to some extent is like a summary of all the previous verses. The judgment of God is coming, cosmic proportions, those who survive this disaster, just a, a, a small remnant, 
And then we've got uh, voices of joy and rejoicing being lift up, lifted up. So presumably verses 14 to 16 are, are the saved people of God rejoicing at the coming time of judgment. Now, now what sense does that make? Why, why might we be looking forward to the day of judgment? Is the day of judgment, is it one of those kind of truths, doctrines in the Bible that we hope no one finds out about because... No, no, it's one of our best selling points, isn't it? The day of judgment is coming. Uh, because it's only if the day of judgment comes and God deals with all causes of sin and wrong that our salvation, our final salvation can take place, isn't it? The judgment and salvation in the Bible are, are like two sides of the coin. You know, the, 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 when the judgment day comes, then God's people will be fully redeemed and, and fully saved. So that's, that's how we should look at it here. So he, here are these voices lifting up from east to west. Notice in verses 14, 15, that east-west, the, the two geographical poles, in other words, covering everything, again, global uh, perspective. Shouting from the west, uh, the coastlands, the, the sea coast is another way in the prophets often use to describe the west because they're thinking from Palestine, they're thinking of the Mediterranean coastlands to the west, you know, the Aegean, Greece, those kind of places. So the west and uh, there the east. So this is the universal praise of God by his people as they see the judgment day drawing near. Maybe east and west too because it's the scattered people of God. So the Bible commentators talk about the Jewish diaspora. Yes, right, the scattered people of God, but together rejoicing and praising God because his judgment is finally come. It does seem to be the people of God, the end of verse 15, because uh, in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So it's uh, his God-saved people looking forward to their full salvation coming. But for that to happen, the world has to be judged and dealt with. Uh, Verse 16, though, the reminder, our joy can be premature. It's not the judgment day yet. Uh, so it seems to be the prophet, doesn't it? You know, I, I, I waste away, I, I waste away. Um, woe is me. So, so uh, the, the end has not yet come. We're anticipating the end with joy. But there's still difficulties to get through. Well, these are the things that are filled out, aren't they, in the book of Revelation, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation. Lurid scenes of cosmic judgment, the different trumpets, the different bowls, and so forth. The book of Revelation has the same message, doesn't it? The, the final comfort of God's people is the coming judgment of God. Of course, we in Australia, we find the book of Revelation a bit difficult, don't we, because we're comfortable. We already live in paradise, you know what I mean? But if you're in a labour camp in North Korea or you're wondering if your village in Nigeria is going to be the next village to be attacked and your girls taken, the book of Revelation, the coming judgment of God, God cares about right and wrong, God is going to deal with the oppressors of his people, God knows how to save those who trust in him, the book of Revelation becomes required reading. And makes a lot of sense. So uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 
24 is, is giving us, uh, that perspective. And yes, the prophets love rhyming words. It doesn't come out at all in English, but terror and pit and snare. Lovely rhyming, three rhyming words in Hebrew which give extra force to uh, what Isaiah is saying. And, and notice that it's the inhabitants of the earth who are being addressed. And again, verse 18, that the judgment that is coming is going to be uh, inescapable. You flee from the terror, but you fall into the pit. You manage to climb out of the pit, but you get caught in the snare. There, there's no way that the, this judgment of God uh, can be avoided. No use just in increasing your insurance cover. No use kind of, you know, moving house to a more safe location. This, this is cosmic judgment which is coming and, and, and there is no escape. And uh, notice the top and bottom imagery used in verse 18. Windows of heaven, foundations of the earth, top and bottom. The, the, the whole world is erupting and uh, is being disturbed. Uh, and again, no, nothing, there's no protection from uh, a judgment of this proportions. And uh, verse 19, the image of uh, the earth being torn like a torn cloth. Uh, verse 20, the image of the earth staggering like someone who's drunk or like some flimsy hut that just sways. Uh, so again, word pictures from the prophet of this cosmic judgment which is, is falling. And uh, verse 21, uh, leadership in the heavenly places and on earth, host of heaven, kings of the earth, the great ones, all face the judgment of God. But then we have the delightful contrast in verse 23. Uh, thankfully, the, the chapter ends on this lovely note, isn't it, of the eternal reign of God uh, over the world from Mount Zion, from Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah is famous for his, what we call Zion theology, this picture of Zion. Zion is the poetic, more poetic or theological name of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Zion, it's the same place. But when, when the Old Testament prophets talk about Zion, there's this association of images you see with the name. Zion con conjures up the image of, of uh, God's world capital, the coming kingdom of God, which will extend over the whole earth. Isaiah chapter 2 would probably be the most well-known, famous example of this Zion theology. Chapter 2, verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days, the mountain, the house of the Lord, shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will flow to it. Many people will come to it. So uh, Zion, as the centre of the world, God as king ruling over the nations. So that's the great vision of Isaiah. Uh, a, a judgment of cosmic proportions, but only to be followed by the universal and unrivaled reign of God. And in the book, like in the book of Revelation chapter 22, where there is no sun and moon, you don't need it because of the glory of God in the new Jerusalem. The same picture here, isn't it? The, the, the moon will be confounded and the sun will be ashamed because we'll have the glorious reign of God 
Uh, God as king and the elders who are mentioned here um, are like his counsellors. So the picture given in verse 23 is, is of the divine courtroom, God upon his throne, his courtiers, uh, angelic or human, uh, around him, the, the final rule and reign of God. Whew, it's heady, it's heady kind of stuff, isn't it? But, but it's meant to, meant to be like that. It's meant to kind of blow us away. Uh, apocalyptic, and I'm saying this is an example of Old Testament apocalyptic. In the New Testament, we could look at Mark chapter 13. That's Jesus talking about the world in this kind of apocalyptic viewpoint, this apocalyptic way of, of talking. The book of Revelation would be the most famous example. Why does the Bible do that? Why does Isaiah, the prophet, talk in these terms? Uh, it, it amounts to a, a very heavy reinforcement of the fact that God is in control of the whole of history. Um, he uses these very strong images. He's thinking in cosmic and global terms, but it's all a heavy underlining of the fact that God is in control. There is a day of judgment. He's going to put everything right. He's going to redeem his people, but the whole world is going to be given one awful big shake to bring about the final salvation and redemption of his people. Uh, I, I think we need passages like this. Uh, so that every now and again we're kind of, you know, blown away, so to speak, uh, by what the Bible says. There's lots of the parts of the Bible which are kind of more tame, more ordinary. Oh, yes, I can, I can just incorporate that into my worldview. I can just take that and, you know, just a little bit of a minor adjustment of my thinking and I can be a Christian. But every now and again the Bible presents us something like this, that blows away every other possible alternate competing worldview and gives us a dramatic perspective like this. The only way to look at life, uh, the only uh, place of true safety is being citizens of the kingdom of God, believing in the <coughs> coming reign of God and... Uh, living in a way which is consistent with that future plan by God. So this is Isaiah's big plan, Isaiah's big picture. Um, can you see that there, there can be nothing bigger than this? This is as big as it gets. Now, people talk about the book of Isaiah. Oh, the book of Isaiah, it's mm, this magnificent book of Isaiah. People talk, what is magnificent about the book of Isaiah? What makes this book great. It's this cosmic perspective that Isaiah provides. It's his big picture. This, this is big picture Christianity. That, that's Isaiah's contribution. Yeah, the other prophets have it in various ways, but Isaiah particularly has this, there's, there's a grandeur to the plan and purposes of God as presented by Isaiah. This, this is the biggest of all pictures. This is, the, this, this is the full story into which all our little lesser stories have to fit. 
the stories of nations, of empires that come and go. They're little stories that fit within this bigger story. The generations of human beings, our little lives, our little stories, all have to fit within this total story, which is provided by Isaiah. So, so he, he, here is a worldview which is big enough. I don't know, young people, have they changed? Back in the day when we were at uni, different 70s, different golden age of university, right? But, but uh, must be getting old. But ba back in the day, you know, young people, t you're looking for something big, big enough to live for, a, a big enough perspective for your life. That's what's being provided through Isaiah the prophet, isn't it? Isaiah's big picture. Let's have a word of prayer. Yes, Father, we have to confess that often we, we think very small thoughts and we've all even been guilty of domesticating the Christian life, small-town Christianity in the wrong kind of way. Um, Lord, thank you that these things here are, are, are addressed and rebuked. There's a bigger canvas. More is happening. There's a wider world out there. There's a cosmic and global perspective. There's your universal plans and purposes. Lord, help us to recognise this. Help us to make sure that our own little plans for the future, what we're going to do when we leave school, what we're going to do when we leave uni, what we're going to do when we have more money, what we're planning, Lord, make sure all our, enable us, so work within us that our little plans are consistent with your great plan. The final dawning of the kingdom of God, your universal rule over heaven and earth. Thank you that you are such a great and glorious God. Thank you for sending Jesus. Through faith in his name, we become members of his kingdom. Thank you that this glorious future is our glorious future through him. And in his name we pray. Amen.